Ashley Brock reading Diane Palmer's book, Lawman, Chapter 7. Grace was sitting in the living room watching the news when Garen came in, tired and hungry. It was obvious that he didn't work an average eight-hour day. In fact, FBI agents were expected to work ten-hour days, and they were paid accordingly. He sat down in a big armchair. What a day, he said heavenly. You're still working on the little girl's murder. Yes, you know. That's all I've done today. My squad is trying to track down a team of bank robbers who carry automatic weapons, and on my desk waiting or drive-by shooting a gang murder or suspected suicide and an attempted murder that the victim's spouse hired a hitman to commit. He glanced at her with a very smile. She had the bad luck to solicitate an FBI agent to do the dirty deed. Entrapment! He chuckled, leaned back and loosened his tie. That's exactly what the perpetrator called it. You don't solicitate hired killers and bars that law enforcement personnel are known to frequent. The man she asked came straight to us. Miss Turner heard him come in and pause at the door. You ready to eat? Yes. Come on, then. Shall I bring Grace? That would be nice. He stood up and moved to where Grace was sitting. She called prettily when he reached her. And those shy gray eyes were hit full wild inside. Pandora, put your arms around me. He said in a low, soft tone. She caught her breath. He didn't have the sexiest voice she'd ever heard. She lifted her arms around his neck, felt him pick her up as if she weighed no more than a feather. Looked down into her eyes at close range and then her mouth. I could get used to this, he remarked. Before she realized his intention, he brushed his hard mouth over her lips in a shiver of contact that made her heart jump. He drew back, watching her reaction. She seemed nervous, but she wasn't trying to get away. He bent again. This time he brushed her lips apart with slow, sensual movements. He caught her upper lip between both of his in a sensuous, nibbling motion. She trembled. Her lips followed his as she gave in to the first rush of desire she'd ever felt for a man. He laughed softly under his breath, and then he kissed her. He was no longer teasing. His mouth was demanding, masterful. He curled her into his body, crushing her soft breast against his broad chest. He groaned faintly, pressed her lips apart with a hunger that was contagious. Just as her arms tightened around his neck, Miss Turner called down the hall. It's getting cold! His head jerked up. Stated grace with mingled desire and irritation. She was drawing him in. With her vulnerabilities and her sense of humor, and he didn't like it. He didn't want her in his life, but her eyes were soft and searching, and his heart was still racing from the heaty contact with her lips. He shifted her and walked down the hall toward the dining room. Middle of the square root solutions all the way. He hardly knew what he was eating. Grace's response had sent him spinning. He knew he should back off, but he wasn't certain that he could. She appealed to him strongly. They stared at each other all through supper with Miss Turner watching covertly and grinning. After supper, Gan carried her back into the living room and put her down gently on the sofa. Despite her door earlier, she was jittering and inhibited with him. He sat down in his armchair across from her. He didn't turn on the television. Something happened to you. He being quietly waiting to understand her. His eyes narrowed when she reacted suddenly to the words he leaned for. Yes, when you were a child, someone made advances to you, frightened you. She bit her lower lip and burned her eyes. How could you know that? She asked, stiffening as she waited for the answer. Can no goody. I've worked in law enforcement all my entire life. He said, I know the signs. She relaxed, only a little. Then she frowned and glanced back at him when she realized what he was insinuating. Signs? Yes. You cover your body in every way possible. You don't wear makeup. You screw your hair up and keep your eyes down. You stiffen if a man comes too close. His dark eyes narrowed on her face. Some men touch you. 
A man touched you inappropriately. She swallowed hard. Yes, she was. Not a boyfriend. Her face got. Definitely not. A relative. She shook her head. It's hard to talk about it. She couldn't even out tell him the truth. At least not the whole truth. She couldn't bear to remember. A stranger. Did you tell someone? She had eventually at the hospital. Yes. You're doing a long way. Did they catch him? She smiled sadly. No. He was gone when the police got there. I don't suppose your mother got you into therapy. She was long gone by then, like my father. She said to me, my grandmother said we didn't talk about such things to strangers. You wanted to curse roundly. No wonder she was messed up. Small towns and their secrets. Were there any more cases like yours at the time? You mean, did they look for the man who did it? She interrupted. Yes, they did. But he wasn't known locally. He didn't leave a trail that anyone could follow. Even he, even if he had, my grandmother convinced the police chief at the time to bury the file. That was stupid. Yes, it was, she agreed. He might still be doing it somewhere. If he's still alive, he probably is. He agreed. Men who do inappropriate things to children don't ever stop. It was the worst than he knew, but she didn't talk about it to anyone outside her family. She felt dirty when she discussed it. So I just go, Grace, it wasn't your fault. Everybody says that, she bit off, but he said it was. He said it was because I wore shorts and a halter tops and God in heaven was all a normal man to tempted by a child. Whatever she wears. He exploded. That made him feel better. She searched his face. I don't suppose normal men would be. She conceded. He made an effort to calm his temper. It earned him that a grown man could have approached a child that way, especially Grace. Have you ever talked about him? Only the doctor Colton. So that was it. Actually, in a relationship with the red-headed doctor, he'd been her conf confessor. I bet he gave your grandmother hell about covering it up. She managed to smile. He did, but she gave it right back to him. She said it wasn't anything I couldn't get over. That was a joke, but he wouldn't know. You know, most women come to terms with it eventually. Counseling helps. So they say. He's like, you don't go out much, do you? She shook her. I told you I don't like being touched. He pursed his lip, remembering the growing excitement of the kiss they shared earlier. I'm working on that. He saw. She left surprised, delighted by his attitude. He accepted her limitations without anger, without question. It was the first time she felt she could trust a man closer than arms You're a nice man. She commented, his eyebrows. Nice. I'm extraordinary. She laughed and started to fly when his pager sounded. Pulled it from his belt and read it grimly. Damn. He got up and went to the desk where he'd placed his cell phone. He punched a number into it and he put it to his ear. Grier, he said. Someone spoke to him. He looked solemn. He nodded. Yes, I can do that. When? All right, I'll meet you there. Better call Marquise. Fine. He snapped the phone shut and glanced toward Grace. I have to go. The medical examiner is starting the autopsy on the child. I need to be present. There will be trace evidence to secure. In addition to the information the autopsy will give us. She gasped. You have to watch? It isn't something I look forward to, but yes, I do occasionally need to watch. We gather forensic evidence while it's going on. Chain of custody is important. If we break one link, if we ever catch this SOB, he won't be able to convict him. Oh, I see. She was picturing the child's body, sliced and broken and beaten. She swallowed down a wave of nausea. He pinbrushed his mouth gently over her soft lips. At least you're still in one piece, Grace, he said quietly. Improper touching is unpleasant, certainly, but what happened to this child was infinitely worse. You were lucky. You didn't die. Lucky? She would have laughed, but he wouldn't have understood. She misled him. She had only herself to blame. I suppose I was lucky, she agreed. She was still alive. 
That was Hucky. Want me to carry you down the hall before I leave, yes. I may be late. She's mine. It's okay. I have a cane that Miss Turner found for me. I'll be fine. I'm sorry you have to see that. I'm saying worse. He said flatly, and he was remembering things he wished he could put again. Sleep well. I could go home. She began. Gave her finger. You and the coyote don't get along. You better stay here for a day or two until you fit for battle. He grinned and winked at her as he went out. She tingled all over. He wanted her in his house in his life. They both knew she was perfectly capable of taking care of herself, but he liked her here. She could have floated. Life was was bad all of a sudden. It was sweet and heating and full of hope. The medical examiner, Jack Peters, was doing the autopsy. He was a forensic pathologist and widely known in law enforcement circles for his attention to detail. His forensic investigator observed the investigator was someone the Grier. Garen knew from another case last year, Alice Mayfield Jones had worked as a crime scene tech technician for a long time before she took the courses that would allow her to work as an off an investigator for the medical examiner's office. Well, if it isn't one of the Grier boys, Alice murmured dryly. Her short, dark hair was under her cap, and part of her face was covered by a mask, but her shimmering blue eyes were unforgivable. How many of the Grier boys do you know, Jones? He chimed. Your brother Cash worked out of the DA's office here. She called. He was a lot cooler than you are. I can see that he wears his heart on his sleeve. <laughs> I can see that he wears his heart on his sleeve, then he replied dryly, giving Aaron a weary look. No, cooler. Alice <laughs> corrected his brother with a ponytail and an earring. Oh, we'll freeze over before you see me wearing an earring. Garrett obliged Marquis disgust. Eyes of chuckle was cough. Alice glanced at him over the autopsy table. Do you wear an earring, Sergeant Marquise? It would go nicely with your hair, something dangly and unobtrusive. <laughs> if you don't shush, Jones, you'll be wearing one through your lips, Timmy <laughs> told her firmly. Shall we begin? Drew the sheet off the small body. Garen had to grit his teeth to keep from cursing. He noticed that his companions were feeling something similar. There were no more jokes. This was deadly serious. Then he pulled down his microscope and began describing the patient from her height and weight and age to the stark ritual of her wounds and the damage they did. While he worked, Jones photographed the body in all stages of the autopsy. She already taken the sheet and body bag. That had covered the victim downstairs to the crime lab. With a slight movement of his hand, he covered the child's face with a cloth after Jones had photographed it. It's easier like this. He said faintly sheepish. He'd done so many autopsies that they hardly bothered him. But he had a daughter this age. And this job was painful. He made the initial Y incision and Jones handed him a pair of cutters to serve the ribcage with so that he had access to the soft tissue inside the body. Karen could see for himself what the knife the perpetrator used had done to her small, tiny body. Her internal organs were destroyed from her lungs to her liver and intestines. The cuts were done with some force, as if the attacker had been in a rage. Were these wounds prayer posed more? Karen Masquale. Pre. The enemy said, she was tortured. You can tell from the bleeding. If they were post-mortem, they wouldn't have bled. Our stops pumping the moment of death. You should watch more television, Grier, Jones Pipe. They show all this stuff on the forensic shows. Don't get me started. Peter snared out her. All that high-tech gadgetry, millions of dollars worth of equipment, and look what I'm working with. He explained, noting not around him in an aged gurney's and old porcelain sink and a microscope that seemed to be patched with gray duct tape. What I wouldn't give for just one of those computers. 
They did give you a su super investigator, though. Jones reminded him. And I'm such... I'm much better looking than the woman on TV who plays the NBA assistant. Stop while you still have a job. <laughs> Peter just muttered. They cataloged the evidence, placing... Tissues from under her fingernails in one evidence bag and swabs from her general area in another. With any luck at all, DNA will catch him. Gary said tally. Only if the perp's DNA is on file. Marquis interjection. It amazes. It's amazing to me. The encounter. How many molesters are in a database? We get reported. What gets reported is just the tip of the iceberg. It's often the case. Marquise agreed. Finally, the ordeal was over, and the Emmy dreaded the body for pickup by the funeral home. Poor kid, he remarked, and her poor parents. Hope the mortician's good at his job. Jones rolled the victim away while Marquise and Karen spoke with the Emmy. I'll send this downstairs to the crime lab, he told them, indicating the evidence back. Unless you want to do it, Karen said. I've initialed all the vials that have swabs. Marquis can pick them up. When you finish and put them in his proper property room in San Antonio PD for safekeeping. Marquis not. We'll take good care of everything. Just make sure somebody signs for it. You better believe it, he said. If we catch the miserable excuse for a human being who did this, I don't want him to walk on a breach of the chain of evidence. When we know something about the DNA, Karen asked him. Get Jones to sweet-talk the evidence tactician downstairs in me, she asked I'll bribe them, she remarked, overhearing them. I can make on Claire's. The head tech is crazy about them. I used to work with them. I know his weaknesses, they laughed. It was a nice break from the somber atmosphere of the autopsy. Humorous how they coped with the horrible sights they carried home with them. Kept them from giving in to the pain. They were the victim's advocates. They had to be able to do the jobs. I'll get this report written up sometime tomorrow, Peters told the man. You can call and make sure it's ready. But I can tell you, based on what I've seen, that the child died of asphyxiation. The knife wounds would have been fatal, but they weren't the primary cause of death. You're sure she was sophisticated? Marquise asked. Emmy pulled away the cloth over the child's face and lifted one of her eyelids. The eye under it was blue. Probably it had been a soft blue full of hope. See these little hemorrhages? Peter asked, indicating the small red dots in the white of the eye. They were more in the skin of her face. Their capillaries erupted due to sudden drastic pressure of the neck. We call the condition pericardial hemorrhage. Yes. They're a hallmark of strangulation. I'm guessing due to the amount of skin tissue I found under her nails that she fought for her life. Her attacker will have scratches all over his hands from her attempt to free herself. Marquis nodding, knowing that it was unlikely they'd find a suspect before those scratches healed and faded away. We use similar techniques in law enforcement to subdue dangerous per perpetrators. The bar arm hold in the cardiac cold. <laughs> I know. They They depress the cardiac artery and induce unconsciousness. I get a victim of it occasionally. Usually kids practicing wrestling moves on each other without supervision. If it isn't done right, it can be fatal. Don't remind me, Murky sighed. We try everything else first to subdue a breaker, but sometimes everything else doesn't work. And our own lives, lives are in danger. Hope you can find the person who did this, Peter said in the game. We've got to find him, Karen said to me. He'll do it again. 
Grace insisted on going home the next morning. Thanks to the quick treatment Garrett had given her the sprain, she was walking with barely a limp. She had to go to work or she wouldn't be able to pay her bills. She didn't want to tell him that. He understood her sort of poverty from what she'd heard people say about his brother Cash. She knew the family was wealthy. Garrett looked oddly relieved when she asked him to drop her or buy her house. He was having second thoughts. He'd spent a long sleepless night thinking about how sweet it was to kiss Grace and had left him irritable. He wasn't going to risk getting involved with her. Never again, he told himself. She was oddly disappointed that he took it so easily, even smiling as they finished breakfast. Maybe he wouldn't have kissed any woman he brought home, or maybe he just felt sorry for her. He guessed a little of her past. He probably thought he was hoping her adjust to men. Her own thoughts were confusing her. She got into the car with him without a word, waved at Miss Turner all the way to her house. She stared out the window without speaking. He let her out of... Out of front of don't chase coyotes, he said firmly through the window. She gave an analytic look. Are you a wildlife advocate? I won't hurt him unless he hurts my cat. He laughed in spite of himself. If you need us, call. You can do the same, she told him pertly and grinned. That grin made him feel warm inside. He hated it. That'll be the day, he muttered, throwing up a hand as he pulled out of the driveway. She watched him dry off with a sinking feeling. Things would never be the same again. He shouldn't have touched her. He was thinking the same thing, which is why he phoned Jackie Jones, Mrs. Tomber's niece, and told her he'll be at the party the next night, which was Friday. As Cash had hinted, the founding father's families of Jacobsville weren't in attendance at the party. Only a few obvious outsiders turned up. Garen felt oddly out of place with these people, especially with Jackie, who rubbed against him at every opportunity, almost panting with desire. He didn't like public displays of affection. It showed in his face. She laughed presently. You're an odd one, she told him as they sipped cocktails beside the buffet. Don't you find me desirable? You must know you're beautiful, he said easily. He smiled. But I work as in a conservative job, and I'm uncomfortable with blatant invitations. Her eyebrows went up, and I took you for an unconventional free spirit, she bird. Logs deceive, he said, lifting his glass to toast her. Yes, well, don't sell yourself short, she added. I don't set, think I'll give up. I get what I want eventually. Do you? He smiled. Why don't you introduce me to your aunt? He left early, despite Jackie's protest. Surely you don't work Saturdays, she asked, irritable. I run a ranch, he reminded her. Weekends are the only time I can devote to it. He didn't add that his job required him to be on call seven days a week. He worked on the ranch in spurts, leaving the daily opportunities, operations to his ranch foreman. As long as you are running after your little neighbor, she chimed. God, that frumpy woman. And you had her staying in your house, I hear. Her grandmother died, he said, darling. She's having a hard time. She's a loser, like most people around here, she said carelessly. Pity has brought down a many a man. Don't let it bring you down. She moved against him deliberately when they were on the front porch alone. She reached up, dragged his head down, and kissed him with her own mouth. He was vaguely aroused by her, but not enough to accept what was blatantly an invitation to ravish her in the shadows. He pulled back. I'll go, you said. You better love her, she or I'll come looking for you. Good night. Good night. He got back in his car thinking of Grace's shy response was far more exciting than this wild cat's adherent aggression. He felt sorry for Jackie's aunt. She was a sweet, kind-natured, but shy little woman who seemed anxious to please people. Her niece's scandalous behavior had obviously cost her some friends. None of the local rich families had set foot in her house tonight. It was a visible snub. Although Jackie was too thick-skinned to notice, well, it wasn't his problem. He was filing and heard records on the computer when Miss Turner came bursting into a study late on Saturday evening. I have to be away for a few days, she said. My father lives in Austin. He's had a heart attack and is in the hospital. I must go to him. 
Of course you must, he said at once. Take the exp expedition. Are you sure? Yes, I'm sure. You know where the key is. Do you need an advance on your salary? He had She was pleasantly surprised. No, but thank you. Is there anything I can do? No, nothing. Thanks, boss. She added. Her face was pinched with concern. I'll be back as soon as I can. If you need anything, call me. He said firmly. What about your breakfast? She will. I'll fix my own return. Now go and drive carefully. She managed to smile. Okay. Call me when you get there and tell me how things are going. He added. She was touched by his concern. I'll do that. He went to bed late and was groggy when he woke up the next morning and got dressed and went downstairs. The house felt emptier than usual with Miss Turner gone. He found a message on the answer machine and was her telling him she had arrived safely in Austin, that her father was holding his own. He made himself two pieces of buttered toast and a pot of coffee and sat down to drink it. The weekend had gone by amazingly fast. He felt a little guilty that he hadn't phoned to see how Grace was doing. It probably hurt her feelings that he dropped her off in her own house and not bothered to check on her with her ankle hurting. Guilt made him impatient with himself. He owed her nothing. But just the same, he drove past her house on his way to San Antonio. Odd. Her car was gone. It was barely six o'clock in the morning. He wondered where she was, but everything looked fine, so he put it out of his mind, continued down the road. Grace didn't see Wilbur when she got home, but she did see why. He managed to get out a slightly open window, ripping his way through the screen while she was at Garen's ranch. She didn't have time to search for him in the morning. She'd come home because she was already overdue at the floor shop. Saturday was one of their busiest days. When she got home again after a day of hobbling, a mostly something to do floral arrangement, she got the came Miss Turner had loaned her and hobbled around the property looking for Wilbur. She found him in a terrible condition, already dead. It looked as if the coyote had gotten him after all. Raging at the top of her lungs, she promised the varmint that she'd even the score one day if it took the rest of her life. Tears rolled down her cheeks as she imagined the poor old cat's final moments, but tears wouldn't bring him back. They'd never brought anybody back. She covered him with an old pillowcase and rolled him up in a tattered bedsheet. She put him in a box in the back seat of her car and drove him to the vet, where he was packed picked up by a man who ran a pet crematorium and offered crematations of beloved pets. In a nice selection of urns that the departed could occupy, Grace picked out a simple inexpensive one and was assured that Wilbur's ashes would arrive in due time at Grace's house. She wrote a check for the expense, grinned her teeth as she saw the pitiful amount of money she had left after paying bills. She'd have to see if she could get a few extra hours work this next week and at her second job to increase her bank balance. She had her work about Garen's attendance at Jackie Jones's party. It had wounded her to know he hadn't spared Grace a single thought after he spent time with a beautiful brunette. Grace looked at her darb and darb imagine image in her mirror and felt hopelessly tacky the only good dress she had was one of her grannies the black one she wore to the funeral most of her wardrobe consists of jeans and sweatshirts and t-shirts with pictures of riding on them she hardly owned any makeup and she never took any time to do her hair on an impulse she took her hair down and ran a brush through her she was amazed at the change it made in her appearance to have the thick silky fall blonde hair draped around her shoulders she put on just a touch of pale mave lipstick and traded her sweatshirt for a long sleeve black t-shirt with japanese writing on it she did have a nice figure she thought even if her face fell short of beauty to go with it her mouth was too wide her cheekbones too high and her nose had a crook in it she wished she was prettier the first time in her life that she wanted to be pretty for a man and he was infatuated with Monty hari she put down the brush and walked back out onto the porch she hadn't quite finished pruning the roses and it was pleasant out by the steps in the sun she no sooner started clipping when she heard a vehicle drive up. To her surprise, it was Garen, the last person she expected to see. She stood up with the clippers, cradled on her hands while he got out of the car, came up the steps. He stopped short.
Its dark gaze slid over her face and shoulders and down her body. With odd intensity, they began to glitter. She opened her mouth to ask what was wrong. Before she got the words out, he had her up in his arms and he was kissing her as if there wouldn't be a tomorrow. <laughs> End of chapter 7.